And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are back, and I pray you are blessed this Sabbath. Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel, we are going to delve right in to chapter 2. Greet one another in the chat. Edify one another. Try and stay on track with the scripture today. I've got a lot I want to share for you. This is a ministry about equipping the saints, and I pray that you are well-equipped and will be well-equipped for the days, the days ahead. So let's delve right into Yeshayahu, Isaiah, and chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. My people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the Elohim of Yaakov, Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the Torah, the law, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. We are talking about the commencement of all things, and this is a power-packed chapter 2. I want to talk today about the synagogue of S.A. Tan, because this chapter reveals something of epic proportions, and like I said, this ministry is about equipping the saints. But we have to be able to see the big picture. I did a teaching several years ago. It's actually, when initially I did the teaching, oh my goodness, I got so lambasted, it was dreadful. I mean, people were just so upset with me. Other teachers were upset with me. It has since turned out to be one of our most popular teachings, and I think we've got, you know, 400,000 people have seen it online. Um, it's called The Big Picture, The Synagogue of S.A. Tan. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you do, because it's kind of a backdrop and a foundation for what I'm going to explain more here in Isaiah chapter 2. Anyway, that teaching was very unpopular initially, but then obviously it grabbed a lot of people. And even in the secular world today, so my teaching obviously was coming from a biblical perspective, from a perspective of a sanctified believer. But even in the secular world today, there is a whole bunch of very famous secular people that 
are questioning what is going on. Whether it's Kanye West, whether it's Andrew Tate, there's a whole bunch of people seeing this synagogue of Satan, sometimes called the Matrix, the globalists or whatever, these euphemisms for the Bolsheviks. This is really extremely important that we understand what's happening in our world because it began all the ways back, excuse me, in the days of Isaiah and what was happening right here in this particular chapter. Because what we will discover about secular and religious Zionism and the synagogue of Satan as opposed to true biblical Zionism and the Malkizedic priesthood. It's a dichotomy. It's not the same. They are opposed at variance against or with one another. We have secular secularism. We've got religious Zionism. We've got the synagogue of Satan. We've got Bolshevism, whatever you want to call it, whether it's those in the matrix, and secular people are starting to see it. Those of us of the faith, some have been able to expose it and see it very clearly with the backdrop of Scripture. I believe Isaiah, of course, was one of them. Then there is the dichotomy. Biblical Zionism, that's totally different. The Malkizedic priesthood, that's totally different. And we need to understand that this is a dichotomy. These are at variance with one another, and you cannot fall into the wrong grouping because there is the deception that is coming upon, what does it say in the first few verses of chapter 2? In the latter days. So is Isaiah's scripture, is his prophecy relevant today? I would say very relevant today. I have declared the end from the beginning, and our chapter begins that this is about the latter days. You see, the synagogue of Satan, they have mastered the art of timing. Absolutely mastered the art of timing. And this is where so many of us get caught. Back in the Christian church, we certainly haven't mastered the art of timing. We believed at any moment Jesus was going to return because there was going to be the rapture. Well, that is not mastering the art of timing. We believed that Israel had returned to the promised land because in 1948, the Zionist state of Israel was born, and we believed that that was biblical Israel, which it's not. We certainly weren't taught the art of timing. In fact, the timing of the prophecies based upon those theories have caused more false prophecy in the 20th century than you can believe. The great late earth, or whatever it was. What was that one in the 80s? with? um yeah, something like that. You know what I'm talking about. How Lindsay. I mean, how many... And it's based upon the misunderstanding of time. The art of timing has been mastered 
by the synagogue of Satan. And believers, you and I, we had better understand timing. Otherwise, we will get caught up in misinterpreting where we are at in the last days. Now, timing. We've got to think about it. The synagogue of Satan, they are not in a hurry. Not in a hurry. The globalists, they're not in a hurry. Not in a hurry whatsoever. Because hurrying betrays a lack of control over yourself. Imagine carrying a plastic bag full of apples. You're in a hurry. You throw all the apples in the plastic bag and you're in a hurry. And then you get a little bit down the road and the weight of the apples in the plastic bag breaks the bag, and then you're on your hands and knees, crawling all over the place to pick up your apples, but now you've got nowhere to put them, and you're carrying in your hands. You were hurrying if you'd have just taken the extra time to step over to the aisle and pick up a box. And if you had just spent the extra time to put the apples in the box, you could have walked nice and slowly to your destination. And you would have actually saved time by being a master of it. I'm going to teach you about three types of time because this is a ministry about not only the former times of the days of Moses, but the end times of which are prophesied. And if we don't understand time, and if we don't understand that Satan and his minions are not in a hurry, then we can be deceived. Because the Christian church, brethren, is in a hurry. It's immediacy. There's going to be an immediate rapture. We're immediately going to be left behind and there'll just be our underpants on the floor. This is an immediate hurry to get out of here. That's not true. That's deception. We need to learn how to stand back because when time is not yet ripe, we need to be patient. We need to be ready to strike fiercely when time has reached its fruition. What's so important is that the synagogue of Satan has mastered the art of timing. They're not in a hurrying. They're not hurrying at all. And they have learned to do these things. Think about it. They're waiting for time to reach its fruition and then they will strike. But they have been extremely patient. Think about Basel, Switzerland. Think about the Bauflower Declaration. Think about World War I. Think about the Bolshevik Revolution. Think about COVID. Think about the war in Ukraine. These were all strike points when timing had come to its fruition and the synagogue of Satan was ready to strike. But there were years of build-up before the Bauflower Declaration. There was years of build-up before they all met in Basel, Switzerland to create Zionism in the 19th century. There was years of build-up before everything was in play to bring forth World War I. 
There was years of build-up before everything was in play, before the Bolshevik revolution came into place. There was years of play and build-up before they were ready for the strike point of COVID. There has been years of build-up before things could come into play for the money laundering scheme to take place in Ukraine. Okay, these were the strike points of fruition. And we're starting to see and people don't even know what's going on. People that didn't even know where Ukraine or still don't know where Ukraine is, who are never going to go on holiday to Ukraine. They got no family in Ukraine are flying the flag of Ukraine and they couldn't even tell you where it is on the map. Because they've been caught into the propaganda of the synagogue of Satan. Three types of time. Number one, you can write this down if you want, long time. Long time. It's drawn out years. It's to be managed with patience. It's defensive in nature. Long time is defensive in nature. And what do you do in that long time? You protect yourself. You build fortresses. That's what long time does. The second type of time is forced time. Forced time is short term. It's very short term. And we can manipulate this time and we can actually use it as a weapon. Have you ever forced something forward on your adversaries which then causes them to lose their footing you can force things through. Or another one is a delay tactic. It can cause your enemy to lose their footing. So force time is short term. You can manipulate it. You can use it against your adversaries as a weapon. Upsetting time. You need to upset the time of your adversaries. Isaiah understood this completely. Completely because the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they were coming. He understand this completely. Delaying, wearing them down, or sometimes, conversely, rushing, using speed and force. And the third type of time is end time. But before I describe that to you, you see, what we need to look at is this place we're in right now is, is using force time. Because when you force the pace, you place your opponent into fear or impatience. We can use it, but it is being used in this world against us right now. And because we're unaware of it, we are falling for it. But if you understand force time, you'll be able to use it against your adversaries. And you will see when your adversaries, the synagogue of Satan, are using the media and propaganda and fear to use it against you and you'll no longer fall for it. Forced time is when you can force the pace. You place your opponent into fear or impatience. You create problems that require fixing. Forcing time upsets the timing of others, doesn't it? It makes them hurry. It makes them wait. Makes them abandon their own pace. It distorts their perception of time because you're the one forcing time. Or 
You can be the recipient and let it be used against you. We as believers must stay patient. When we're patient, we open time up for ourselves, which is half the battle. How do we open time up? By being in the Word, grounded in... How many of you have been in the Word reading and hours and you're like, oh my goodness, it's like, it's one o'clock and you've been in the Word for hours. Where did the time... Because you right there, by being in the Word, which is alive, you open time up. And people don't realize that. Prayer... How many of you have been in prayer? And you're like, oh my goodness, 20 minutes went by. And maybe at first it was like a wedge. Your mind is wandering and, you know, you feel like you've been praying for two minutes, but it's only 20 seconds. But then as you drive that wedge in, you begin to open up time. And then all of a sudden you become at peace because now you have mastered time. You see, this is exactly what's being used against the world by the synagogue of Satan. Because this can be used in holiness or it is used by the occult. Because it is something that Yahweh has allowed in his creation. And so they, the synagogue of Satan, use it in an occult force with a lot of fear and they live in this timing of long time to force time to end time. So what is end time? That's the third type of time. That is when we execute the plan. Conversely, that's when the synagogue of Satan executes the plan. COVID, what happened with COVID? That was long time. Then... There was forced time, right? Two weeks to flatten the curve. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Forced time. A lot of fear. A lot of fear. And then, boom, end time, executing the plan. All of these were in play. At the time of it, I didn't have the comprehension of time and what I'm bringing to you today. I believe these are the keys to our success in the prophetic latter days, which is that time? Is that time? Which time is it? It's the third one. But to get to the third one, we need to understand the first one, long time. We need to understand how to use the second one as a weapon, both aggressively and defensively, and to be able to know when it is being used, employed as a weapon against us. Secret all the time. It's being employed every single day. Now that you know, the second one is a weapon. So use it. Pick up your weapons. Oh, well, that sounds violent. I mean, I get so tired of these highfalutin ideas of people and characters and prophets in the Bible. They were human, like you and I, just regular people. And if you think that there's some kind of icon in a Russian Orthodox church 
or a saint that you should pr pray to, then you've lost the plot. They didn't, they weren't all knowing. They weren't all encompassing. They were men and women like you and I, as you can be the prophets in the latter days. But we must master the art of timing. Long time, forced time, end time. We need to know when the plan is being executed against us, satanic, and when we are to execute the plan divine. Okay? He who leaves the battlefield last wins. What is that? That is long time. Then forcing the enemy to be thrown off their timing, which then lets them leave the battlefield, and then you're in the end time and you win. All of these things, great leaders have always understood these keys of time. Keys of time. End time is executed with force and speed. No hesitation. No hesitation. When it's on, Moshe, it's on. But until then, you've got long time. Patience, patience, patience. Then maybe you go into force time. What's that going to do? Cause your adversary to be off of their time. It's either going to rush them or it's going to slow them down. And then they're, they're off their game. And then, when then? End time. That's when it is like a bullet out of a pistol. It is, there's nothing. And then it's fully explosive. That is when it's on. And this is the latter day times. Reading the signs, which is why we celebrate the Sabbaths and the feasts. Because the Sabbaths of the feast, what time are they? Out of all three. Long time. They are long time, which builds what? Stamina, character, sanctification, holiness. Long time draws others into your realm to support you for the next time to build up the faith, to bring in the saints so that you can be defensive and offensive in the second time, which then prepares you as the saints, all 12 tribes scattered abroad, for the end times. Brilliant. The combination then of these three times have been used by the synagogue of Satan to promote false Christs and false prophets who have risen to show great signs and wonders. The birth of the state of Israel, for example. So much so that it has become possible, has it? Question. To deceive even the elect. Has it? You see, most believers have been duped into post-State of Israel 1948 theology when it comes to temple, priesthood, and sacrifices. And they're rushing on ahead, falling for forced time to bring about an end time. 
they're being played by the synagogue of Satan and I would dare say many in the messianic movement that have fallen for it. Now this here is the crux of the matter and where we are dastardly deceived by post-World War allied Zionist propaganda. You do realize you live in a world where it's all propaganda or the story that is being told to you is being told to you by the victors of World War I and World War II. It's post-allied World War I and World War II propaganda. Now, if you were to speak a narrative that was popular, that means the majority that supported it in certain nations in World War I and World War II, you would today be deplatformed and you, your name would be attacked. Why? Because we live in a post-allied world view of history. And that is the only acceptable view to hold. You cannot hold another view if you want to be able to communicate to the masses. You just, you can't. It's unacceptable. Which goes back to last week where in the prophet said what? That we cannot even reason together. Okay, you should be able to have debate. So think about this. Is Satan going to use a state that was artificially manufactured under the authority of the United Nations in 1948 and both its secular and religious adherents to establish a temple? And would then that temple be based upon lesser blood, a lesser priesthood, a lesser sacrifice, a lesser God, and most of the secular and religious world, would they embrace it? And to do that, they have to use long time, forced time, to bring about their end times. And that, brethren, is where we are at. Look at verse 9. I hope you're tracking with me because this is massive if you can hear what I'm speaking to the saints, if you have a blood-tipped ear. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What time is that? One, two, or three? Or is it a combination of all three? It's a combination of all three to get to three. The long time plan, then using forced time, various catastrophes and drama, dramatic events and wars to speed up time, slow down time, to throw people off their timing, believers, to bring you into the end time. 
what are you talking about, man? This very verse, brethren, is engraved in a stone on the UN building. Why? Because the UN is acting as Messiah. It is propping up a satanic agenda. Mystery Babylon. There is a large white horse outside the UN building in New York with a rider with an olive branch bowed in his hand. The first seal of Revelation is stripped. It was stripped off May 15, 1948, sent forth conquering and to conquer. The UN has set themselves up as Messiah. They established a counterfeit Israel so they can dictate its terms and use it as a lever to leverage the whole world, to throw off time. It's the forced time to bring about the end time, but it's a counterfeit of long time because who is the most long-suffering and patient of them all? Yahweh. You're going to have to rewind and re-watch what I'm saying because I've got a bunch of blank stares. Like, uh, what is he? He's lost his plot. No, this is the plot. Look at verse 5. O house of Jacob, come... O house of Jacob, come and let us have our walk in the light of Yahuwah. Does it say house of Judah? Does it? Does it? Or does it say house of Jacob? Does it say house of Judah? Okay, thank you. Because people read that and they read Judah. They read the Jews. It says, house of Jacob. Come. What does that mean? Because if Yahweh had wanted to put house of Judah, he would have put it. But he puts house of Jacob because Jacob is the father to how many sons? This isn't, this isn't like a, a trick question. Jacob is the father to how many sons? Anybody? Huh? Oh, thank goodness. I thought I, was in the, I thought I was in the wrong building with the wrong people in the wrong time. Okay, good, good, good. All right, all right. Yes, 12. 12 sons because there's how many tribes of Israel? All right, we're in elementary ele school here, okay? I just, my goodness, what happened to my audience? Did we go back 30 years in time? Oh, whoa, time, time, you see? Jacob is the father of 12 sons. And those 12 sons are grouped together as a house, and it's called what? The house of Joseph, because Joseph was the what son of Jacob? The beloved son of Jacob. So the house of Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob, is what? The flame, the fire. But we have a rotting stick of restoration that is being propagated by religion and they're using the second time, forced time, to force the synagogue of Satan and their doctrines on people 
And we need to bring this about before it's too late. You see, coming to understand that the state of Israel isn't biblical Israel, that the Temple Mount isn't actually the Temple Mount, that it's the Anatonia Fortress, that the Ashkenazi Jews aren't actually the Jews of the Bible, but they're actually Khazarian converts. They're not Shemites at all. They're Japhethites. This is extremely important to understand the third principle of the end times. It's extremely important. You see, the synagogue of Satan is built upon a five-fold fraud. Number one, history. There's sacred history. That's post-World War I and post-World War II ally propaganda. That's sacred. You can't challenge it. You can't question it. And you certainly don't want to talk about the leaders of some of those countries during the World War Wars because then you'll just be deplatformed. That's called sacred history versus historical truth. Historical truth allows for debate. It allows for different opinions. It allows for people to challenge historical truth, allows people to challenge sacred history. Number two, the synagogue of Satan being built upon a five-fold fraud. The second fraud is genealogy. Who is a Jew? Who is a Jew? The key to knowledge is seed and migration. Okay, we've done that, and of course we've done the, a great teaching called the migration of Judah. If you haven't watched that, that's an extremely popular teaching on YouTube as well. The migration of Judah. It talks about the key of knowledge to genealogy. The third is Israel. And the key to knowledge is Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. The fourth fivefold fraud of the synagogue of Satan is priesthood. Levitical priesthood is propagated, but the key to knowledge is the Malchizedek priesthood. And the fifth fivefold fraud is the third temple. Now, the key to knowledge is the book of Ezekiel isn't millennial, but a collection of 13 date stamp scrolls. And we've done a whole series on that. And when you see that, you see that time begins to open up for you. And you'll understand the end times because you're no longer being forced into the timing of the synagogue of Satan. This whole world, whether it's secular, or believing is falling for forced time because the synagogue of Satan, the globalists, the Zionists, whether it's against believers like you and me or questionable characters like Kanye West or Andrew Tate, they are using number two, forced time as a weapon to throw people off of the understanding of the end time because they have a long time number one view. I could stop right here and if you really, really meditate on what I'm saying and you look out at that world today, I believe this is a massive paradigm shift and I believe a major equipping of the saints. If you take this understanding.
and let it marinate within you. But I have so much more. We've got divergent priesthoods. We've got divergent people. We've got divergent land. We've got divergent temple. We've got divergent sacrifice. And it all leads to a divergent high priest. And it's all about time. Being used as a weapon against us or us using it like prayer, opening up and then having a whole different opening of time. Let's be clear, there is no Levitical priesthood in the Torah. I mean, it's amazing how many Torah teachers talk about the Levitical priesthood. And then I say something like that and people are like, what? There is no Levitical priesthood in the Torah. I'll say it again, because now I bet a bunch of you in the chat are like, yes, there is. No, there is no Levitical priesthood in the Torah. Why is that so difficult? I think it's because I got raised secular I didn't have any religious traditions, and I just opened up the Bible after I got born again. And I read, and it is what it is. I don't have all this baggage with me. There is no Levitical priesthood in the Torah. Why did Korah, who was a Levite, try and hijack the priesthood if he was already entitled to it? That's a good question. Why did Korah, who was a Levite, try to hijack and steal the priesthood if he was already entitled to it as a Levite? There is no Levitical priesthood in the Torah. Otherwise, Korah wouldn't have tried to hijack it because he would have already been entitled to it as a Levite. What a concept. We know that what? Korah did try to hijack the priesthood. Why? Because he wasn't entitled to it as a Levite because it wasn't Levitical. What was it? It was ironic. It was Ithamar. It was Eliezer. It was a direct descendant. It was not open to all Levites. Make sense? There is an Aaronic priesthood as there is a Malkitzedic priesthood. There is no Levitical priesthood that these Messianic teachers are tromping on about, which they learned from the synagogue of Satan. Because why is a synagogue of Satan trying to propagate a non-Torah Levitical priesthood? Because they can't do the genealogy, and they're going to have anybody come in. And they're going to be a bunch of Japhethite, Kazarian converts from the Kazakhstan, Ukrainian region. Oh, I wonder why we're over there. Okay, and they're going to bring them in to an illegal unbiblical priesthood and the end times. And there's going to be a bunch of deceived believers that have been forced into that timing that are going to be clapping away, shedding the blood of animals and bowing down to high priests after the order of Satan. And it's coming. People even in the secular realm are waking up to it.
We know the priesthood under Melchizedek is so different because what was under the book of the law is not Melchizedek. For under the law, one family, which was Aaron, from one tribe, Levi, exclusively was admitted into the priesthood. And the Gentiles, as unclean, were so far from having it into their power to discharge that priesthood that they were forbidden to enter into the temple. Let me be very clear on that. As a Gentile, you couldn't even come into the temple. You were so far from it. It was not a Levitical priesthood. It was Aaronic to Ithamar to Eliezer. It was not open to Korah. Yet, in the latter-day visions of Isaiah 66, you see something so different. In Isaiah chapter 66, you see the Gentiles, those in the nations, are elevated by Yahuwah to the highest honor. Once these unclean people from the nations, from the polluted nations, they are actually reckoned to be holy people. Just as you see in Exodus chapter 19 in the book of the covenant. And they're admitted inside. So my question to you is, can this be an Aaronic priesthood? in the end times, in the latter days, in Isaiah chapter 66. It can't, because an Aaronic priesthood never admitted Gentiles. But here in Isaiah chapter 66, fast-forwarding, in the end times, they're admitted. This must be then speaking of something that Yahushua has done. That is called a messianic reformation, and that is long time, because it's Malkitzedek. Because what happened is the Aaronic priesthood must have been changed and it must have ceased for that to happen. Because under the book of the law, the Aaronic priesthood didn't admit Gentiles or any other tribe but Levi. So how could it be some kind of remanufactured Aaronic or what they're going to call the Levitical priesthood in Isaiah chapter 66. It simply can't. In fact, in the Torah, in Numbers chapter 18, in verse 7, it's written, Therefore, you and your sons with you shall guard your priest's office for all things pertaining to the altar and inside the veil, and you shall serve. I have given your priest's office to you as a gift for service and the stranger that comes near, the Gentile, somebody from another nation that comes near, they shall be killed. Does that sound like Isaiah chapter 66, end times? Does that sound Malkitzedek? No. You see, this is what I'm talking about. In verse 22 it says, Neither must the children of Israel from now on come near the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. So even the other tribes couldn't have access. In Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 it says, He that is wounded in the stones or has his private member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of Yahuwah. Why do you think 
that they are pushing forth this agenda. Have you thought about that? A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. That's Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Deal with it. It's politically incorrect. Deal with it. So why would the synagogue of Satan being push an agenda that is absolutely relevant when you read that scripture? Why do you think? Because the end times is all about temple. But we've got to get the right temple, we've got to get the right priesthood, we've got to get the right blood. Because if we don't, then we have fallen for forced time and it is being used against us. And I'm seriously concerned for people that can't see this in the scripture. In the latter visions of Isaiah, specifically the 66th chapter, we find, this is so amazing, we find non-Israelites in the priestly service. This has been unseen since Exodus chapter 12. At the book of the Covenant Mountain, which was Exodus chapter 19, there was a mixed multitude that were able to be a part of the priestly service at the mountain in Exodus chapter 19. But then something happened that then it became just ironic and anybody else was put to death. And then if you were not part of the ironic, you couldn't be part of it. But now in Isaiah 66, in end time, we see that it's open to non-Israelites, Something must have changed. How is this possible in the state of Israel in the Middle East? It's not. How is this possible in a Levitical, what they call, better, an ironic hierarchy? It's not. Isaiah 66 is not possible. I've asked many messianics that teach the Levitical priesthood or the ironic priesthood wrongly labeled as the Levitical priesthood. I said, well, how do you deal with Isaiah 66? If this is all about the Levitical priesthood and the Malchizedek priesthood is wrong, then how do we, how do we deal with Isaiah 66? How do you deal with non-Israelites in the priestly service that's un been unseen since the book of the covenant? You see, in the Torah, in the book of the law part of Torah, none of those from the tribe of Levi could be taken into in a literal sense. Could they? Because that's why Korah was challenging the priesthood. Because he couldn't be taken into it. He was from the long, wrong line. It wasn't ironic. But Isaiah, in the 66th chapter, has the vision of Gentiles, those in the nations, that are said to be taken in as such. So it simply can't be an ironic book of the law end times. This is the crux of the matter. It has to be in the end times. If you're the one that is forcing time and throwing the synagogue of Satan off of their game, then you can see that we are in the book of the covenant, that we are in messianic reformation, which is Malchizedek in Yahushua, and that he is allowing all those from the nations to come up to the temple. And he will also take some of them as priests and for Levites. This is what Yahuwah says. 
If you read the 21st verse of Isaiah 66, it's really quite telling. It says, I will take all tribes together as priests, mingled with Levites, says Yahuwah. That's the key time. Don't let anybody push you, but now you can control the time and it will open up for you if you can see. All your brethren, Isaiah 66 verse 20, all tribes together as priests, just as it was in Exodus chapter 19. The word mingled is very important. It's the Hebrew word lachak. Lachak. And in Isaiah 66 verse 21, it tells you that they are lachak, mingled with Levites. That's a tribe, and they're all one. Well, all one in what? All one in Messiah. Galatians 4 verse 28, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. So is Isaiah declaring the end from the beginnings? Don't let anybody else force time on you. Now in the Malchizedek priesthood, under the blood of the Lamb, you are the one that is able to force time on the synagogue of Satan. I hope you're getting what I'm laying down. Mingled, the Hebrew word, lachak, among them, la koanim, la leviim, says Yahuwah, or in the Hebrew, straight, lachak koen levi amar Yahuwah. Isaiah, our prophet, envisions the fulfillment of the ve nevrechu in the Hebrew, or lachak, mingling of the Gentiles together with the Levite peoples that always assisted but now there is one they come in equity and equality together before Yahuwah that's what this ministry is all about and that's what's so powerful no one is better than another but we all come together this can only be the return of the Malkitzedic priesthood which is of course, end time. This is amazing stuff. But now I'm going to go back to long time. Because in our chapter 2 here, we have to realize in 722 before the common era, the Assyrians were living in Israel and they asked Sargon II, the king of Assyria, for a priest of Bethel who had been recently deported. What Sargon II didn't know that was that this was an evil priest. The very likes of whom Yahuwah had destroyed the ten tribes to begin with due to the very idolatry he was now promoting again up in northern Israel in Bethel after the 723 before the common era deportion. This is the priestly synagogue of Satan. It's birth on the hilltops of Israel, 722 before the common era. Isaiah was dealing with the synagogue of Satan long time, number one. Number two, in 500 and 38 before the common era, 
the return from Babylonian captivity. Israel is confronted by the synagogue of Satan again. Again. Who was Tobiah? He was an Ammonite. An Ammonite, excuse me. And the men of Samaria mocked and opposed Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the wall. This was the synagogue of Satan that was birthed back in 722 before the common era. Now, after they come back from Babylon, they're about, and guess what? They're, they're working in that forced time. Nehemiah's trying to build the wall. Hang on a minute. Let's come in. Let's throw their game off. Let's force them to speed it up or get them to slow it down. And here we have Tobiah the Ammonite working in time number two against Nehemiah. You can see it in chapter two of Nehemiah in verse 10. I'll read it to you. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, can you imagine having that name today? Man, what's your name? Oh, my name's Sanballat and I'm the Hornite. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's a strange name to have, isn't it? Maybe some of those people that don't have any stones could be named that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Anyway, when Sambalite the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. You see, they're always trying to force time by pretending it's all in your best interests. This is for your health and your protection. This is for your financial security. This is for your safety. You see, they've always been doing that. That is the synagogue of Satan. Now you fast forward to 164 before the common era, and you see the synagogue of Satan again, because they're working in that long time using forced time, either to delay or speed up, to throw Israel to throw us off of the scent of the end times. 164 before the common era, you have Antiochus Epiphanes, and you have the Maccabean era. What's happening? The Maccabees and the takeover of what? The temple. And the subsequent evictions of the sons of Zadok. And where did the sons of Zadok flee? Down to Qumran. And the breeding ground for the synagogue of Satan and the Hasmonean and Herodian dynasty because it threw off the time of Israel. They've always understood this. And now we come into the time of Yahusha. Again, long time, but now they're going to move into forced time. What are they going to try and do? They're going to, even Yahushua's disciples were trying to speed him up. Right? And what did, what did Yahushua say? Get behind me, Satan. He said that to his own disciple who was trying to force time on him. What was Judas trying to do? He was trying to move Yahushua from long time to bring in the end time by forcing time. And what did Yahushua say to him? No. And they couldn't even stay awake in the garden. They were delaying time. What did Yahushua say? You are of your father, 
Satan. And he was a murderer from a long time. The end is declared from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. It was the Levitical priesthood under Annas that set fire to the temple. But you just said there was no Levitical priesthood. Not in the Torah. But at the time of the priesthood of Yahushua, was that a Torah priesthood? Caiaphas wasn't even in the right line for him to be the Kohen Haggadah. John the Baptist, Yochanan HaMatbil, he should have been the Kohen Haggadah, the high priest. But it was so corrupt that he was out in the wilderness. Caiaphas was illegitimate. So it was Levitical because it was not Aaronic. It was under the priesthood and under Annas. And it was actually Annas that deliberately set fire to the temple. Josephus tells us this. The Levites set fire and destroyed the temple rather than step aside. Because there was 20,000 Malkitzedic zealots that were heralding Yahushua as their high priest and king. And they wanted to take their rightful inheritance of the temple and its ordinances into their possession as there had been a transference of priesthood. Josephus records that there were 20,000 zealots, Malkitzedic zealots, that wanted to take over. And there was passions that had erupted after the death of the half-brother of Yahushua James, or Yaakov, at the temple steps. It's recorded that Titus did everything in his power to actually try and put out the flames. If we don't understand these three different times, then we will never understand the end times. There's much more in chapter 2, but I have been going on for a long time, I fear. Three types of time. Number one, long time. Drawn out years. It can be managed with patience. It's defensive in nature, and that's when you build protections. Put things in place, status correction, fortresses. You protect your family, you protect. That is long time. Number two, force time. It's short term. You can manipulate it and it can be used as a weapon. You can use it as a weapon. It can be used against you. You can manipulate it. The synagogue of Satan is manipulating it and using it against you. Because in forced time, you can upset the time of your adversaries. You can wear them down with slowing it down. Or you can speed it up and cause them to rush. Just like carrying the apples in the plastic bag. That's forced time. And then you've got the end time. This is when the plan of Yahuwah is executed. Or 
This is when the plan of Satan is executed. And you saw that with all of these various things that have happened in the 20th and 21st century. Satan used long time, brought in the forced time to cause everybody to be off their time, and then he brought in his execution of the plan. And remember, he who leaves the battlefield last wins. End time is executed with force and speed. And that's what we need to be ready for. I believe Isaiah chapter 2 shows us the end from the beginning. I do believe that the United Nations, the state of Israel, this idea of a Levitical priesthood, better an Aaronic priesthood, and the synagogue of Satan, which you know, is a particular race of people that came out of the line of Japheth, Japhethites, that are masquerading as Jews who say they are Jews but are not. But they are really Turkic Mongols from the Khazarian region of the Russian steppes. You wonder why we're in Ukraine and we're in that re I mean, I mean, that's a mass, some, some serious money laundering going on. Okay? Why? Because it's all about these three types of time. Isaiah knew this because he was dealing with just what you and I are dealing with. He was dealing with the synagogue of Satan, just as the Maccabees were dealing with the synagogue of Satan, just as Yahushua was dealing with the synagogue of Satan. There is nothing new under the sun. We have to understand this so that we can be prepared for what is coming forth. Keep your eyes on the United Nations because that is a very big part of this end time plan of the synagogue of Satan. And right now, they're using number two to throw you and I off of our game. But not for me because I see it as clear as clear can be. And now because I see it, I use forced time to manipulate time against mine adversaries that can be secular people, can be in whatever, or looking at it as those unbelievers. Speed it up, slow it down. We can then open up that end time revelation for us. That's what I got for you in chapter 2. I hope it made sense. It made sense to me when I was studying it, but then as I'm teaching it, I'm wondering whether it even um, made sense to you. But let's see if you've got anything in the chat. If you don't, then we will just um, bounce on back next Shabbat. Let's see here. Any questions at all? Anything? Let's see. If you want me to um, grab you, then please... Uh, Pop something up in the live chat. I'll be down the bottom scrolling. Daughter of Yahuwah, LRC, says, Judah Maccabee was allegedly the third son of Matthias the Hasmonean, the Hashemites, a Jewish priest from the village of Modin. Well, thank you for that. Nadine Kanabu, Revelation 12:12. 12, the time has been shortened. Okay, so maybe a few people are getting what I'm saying. 
Do we have anything else that's popping up here? Daughter of Yahuwah, LRC. Thank you, Matthew, again for bringing such depth of understanding. This is so full, and I will definitely go back again and again on this one. Okay, well, thank you so much for encouraging me, because I was feeling a little bit discouraged, because that's what happens, because I'm, I'm studying it, I'm getting this revelation, and it's really starting to empower me, and I'm feeling, and then I write it down, I write notes, and then my notes are a little rough, you know? And then I come to teaching, and I'm like, well, maybe it didn't come out right. So I hope, thank you for being gracious with me. It's very difficult. People don't realize the amount of energy spiritually that you have to expand, not only in the study, but then to try and communicate it, and then try to get everything that is in your mind, spirit, heart, and soul, and then bring it out and hope that you, the first time, can receive something. It's, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. And I've been doing this a long time. This one was a difficult one for me today because I think if you really get what I'm laying down, it's pretty heavy, pretty heavy. And I gave you a couple of secular examples, and some of you might not like that. Kanye West, Andrew Tate. And these are bit, but the world is starting to see it. Okay, what they're saying is what I've been saying for years, and they don't have a biblical perspective. Because it's, it's everywhere. I mean, look at, look, at, look at the owners. Who are the owners of these platforms? Google. Metaverse. PayPal. I mean, just ask. What is the common theme? The common theme is the synagogue of Satan. Turkic Mongols from the Khazarian region that converted, <laughs> I mean, they who say they are Jews who are not. In the meantime, there's a whole nother group or tribe that is being marginalized and being, I mean, it's just outrageous and and. You have to be very careful when you speak of it. Anyway. If you want to be, continue to have a voice in the... in the. Um, well, thank you. Emissary of Elohim. Anti-Shemitic. Well, if you're against those from the tribe of Shem, and if Ashkenaz is from the tribe of Japheth, then how can the Ashkenans be Shemites? They're Japhethites. I mean, it's just pretty clear. There we go. Diesel Grandma. Ashkenazi are sons of Japheth, therefore not sons of Shem, and not Shemitic Semitic. They were Khazarians. Thank you. See, you should just be up here teaching. You, just, you could have said it in one sentence. I've been saying it for an hour. Anyway, my goodness. Diesel Grandma, the definition of the word Gentile is someone who is outside of the covenant. Anyone could be this by choice. 
But then in Isaiah 66, you see the grafting in of all of those that would usually be outside grafting in. How is that possible? They're not ironic. They're anybody joined. That tells you we are now moving into the, Al- the um, Malkitzedic realm. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. All right, I don't see anything else. There's quite a lot of chat here, isn't there? Anything else in studio? Do you see anything else I'm missing? Torah to the tribes. Yes, brother, we are pro-Semitic. Yes, we are. Of course we are. Yeah, there we go. Alma, at Torah to the tribes. Kanye just read the cliff notes. He needs to study. Yeah, I, actually, he doesn't. He goes by, what does he go by now? It's not even, you don't, he won't even, he doesn't even like that name. I think it, what is it? I don't know. Ye or something? Some of you would be more up on this than me. Yeah, he won't even go. Yeah, I think it's yay. Yay, it's yay, isn't it? Like as in Khan, yay, it's yay. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy world that we're living in. But people are starting to wake up for us. But like, like you said, he's just reading the cliff notes. Needs to get back into the, get into the word. I think maybe for the first time. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Well, brethren, I, I think I, I threw down enough for you today. I pray you be blessed. And um, remember. Continue to build up the nation, all 12 tribes scattered abroad, that those that are Gentiles outside of the covenant share the wonderful news of Yahushua to them, the wonderful saving power of his grace and of his, of his mercy, and that then when we get transformed, we get to live a better life. We get to get into that long time where we can start to build fortresses, build generations, build marriages and wealth to the next successive generations. How? By being defensive in nature, preparing so that when our enemies come, we can use short time that it won't be used against us. All this clickbait, all this Instagram, that's all in the short time realm and it throw is used to throw people off to waste time so that they aren't prepared for the end times. That's all I've got for you this Shabbat. Be good stewards with your time. Spend time in word and prayer. Yahweh bless you. Shabbat Shalom.